We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone again to an episode of Healing Stories. We have the privilege of being with Dr. Nazari today, uh, one of the prominent physicians in Fort Smith and someone who last week while we were celebrating Doctor's Day came and spoke to a packed room of physicians for throughout the community and engaged us around healing. And Dr. Nazari, it's really a, a great moment for us to be here speaking. And I wonder if you could introduce yourself and, and we will begin. Martin, thank you very much. This actually is an honor for me to be participating in this podcast. Uh, I'm Dr. Louis Nasri. I'm a pediatric pulmonologist. I'm currently the chair of pediatrics at Arkansas College of Osteopathic Medicine. I've been in Fort Smith, Arkansas for a long time, and it has been an honor for me to, to be part of this community all the time. One thing we realize is people are looking for story. Yes. And people are looking for medicine to be a place where they're able to tell their story. Yes. Uh, you, in practicing with children and in practicing with families, uh, see the importance of this. Could you speak a little bit about a story that came to you in your own life that was a moment of healing? Well, I mean, throughout all the, the, these times I've been here, I honestly felt that spirituality is more important than organic being. Hmm. Now, I have a whole lot of stories, but the one that impacted me the most was actually in the 1980s. We were at Hawk Rock Clinic, and I was in pediatrics, and the chair of orthopedics at the time was Dr. Al Hathcock. Al Hathcock was a, a very broad-minded, impressing person in there. You always wanted to talk to him. So what we did is uh, Dr. Charles Armour, who's a psychologist and he's now the pastor of the Faith Church in here in Fort Smith. And uh, Dr. Hathcock and myself used to meet every Wednesday evening and we studied different aspects and every, every subject we talked about we looked about the, what Christianity says about that particular issue, what Judaism says about that particular issue, what Islam says about that particular issue, and we see the differences and, and, and the similarities. Most of the time, we saw similarities more than differences. At any time, at any way, one day, Dr. Hathcock was eating dinner, and the food stuck in his esophagus. It just would not go down. So the next day, he had endoscopy, and they found out that he actually had cancer of the esophagus that obstructed his esophagus. He couldn't swallow anymore. But because of his stature in town, no, no surgeon wanted to touch him. So they sent him to the Mayo Clinic. And over there, they repeated the tests again. And yes, not only was there cancer, but it was spread. It was stage four. So they told him, they said, well, this is the situation, so you have two choices. Either you just go home and die, or we can bypass the obstruction, do a, an operation. You can swallow, and then, uh, and then you go home and die. 
that was a terrible decision to make, but he decided, he said, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take my chance. So on the day of surgery, apparently in the Mayo Clinic, they don't put you on a wheelchair, take you to the operating room, or put you on a gurney, take you there. You have to walk to the operating room. So he, he said he walked, and then there was a long corridor hall, and at the end of it was the door of the operating room. So he came and he wanted to go there. All of a sudden he froze. He couldn't move. He didn't know what, what to do. He, didn't, he wasn't scared of the surgery. But he said to himself, if I go into the operating room and I die on the table, I'm going to meet God. And if I do meet God, what am I going to tell him? Am I a Christian? Am I a Jew? Or am I a Muslim? He has known all these religions and found out that they are very close and he didn't know he belonged to which one. So he can move. And he said, I don't know how long I was frozen. I couldn't move. But finally, I found myself singing Psalm. Psalm 23. At that moment, he knew he was a Christian. And he moved in. And he had the operation. He came back to Fort Smith. And he told me that story himself. A week later, he passed away. That story affected me the most all these years. It's a beautiful story. And we are so grateful for you sharing that with us today. Well, it was, it was really, it impacted me a lot. One of the things to continue the dialogue is about how we are looking at peace in our community. Yes. And as you know from your own experience, this endeavor of peace is a real journey in healing, especially with what's gone on with the mosque here and what's gone on with forgiveness. Are you aware of some of the ways that we can develop peace in our lives and sharing some of the experiences you've been through? Very much so, very much so. I think the, the first step in peace in the society is for us, for us to know each other. And the next thing that we need to know is education. The problems with lack of peace is either, be no, either because we don't know each other or because of lack of education. And I think that's exactly what happened when our mosque was vandalized. Now, I, I was very surprised that day because Fort Smith has been the most peaceful place I've ever seen. In 36 years, the only thing I saw was kindness, appreciation, friendliness from everybody. So I never thought that, that vandalism would happen right here. But it did. And at that moment, I knew in my mind that whoever did this was, didn't, was not educated. He didn't know about us. If he, did, if he knew us, he wouldn't do it. Uh, it and, and, and so... I started thinking, how are we going to spread education? How are we going to know each other better? And the best way I found was interfaith. You go to a meeting of interfaith, and you listen 
to the people of all kind of religions and backgrounds and and um, communities and all that deal. And you find over there that really, once you listen to them, they're so much similar than different. But they don't realize that. They concentrate on the negative and they forget about the positives. So a meeting after meeting after meeting in interfaith, you start concentrating on the positive and you find yourself very friendly with others. Actually, what I say about that vandalism is that it was a, a blessing in great disguise because it opened the door for us to intermingle with all the communities. And because of it, the everybody supported us with this, everybody. However, the strongest support came from the Jewish community. And, and all of a sudden, I found myself friends with them. They're my brothers, my cousins, my, you know. It's the same thing. We believe in the same things. They have, they have suffered from the same things. And so and it was because of lack of education. It was because we didn't know each other. And now, I don't think there's anybody in the whole, in the whole area, western Arkansas, eastern Oklahoma, who, who is not peaceful with us Muslims being in town. And, and, and not only, really not only in this area, we got support from Washington State. We got support from Little Rock, from Maryland. I got emails from London, from Germany, from Canada. And the latest thing, I had an interview, guess from where? Indonesia, the other end of the world. That's why I say it was a blessing in great disguise. And we realize with this disguise, it takes an education to discern what are the ways for friendship. Yes. And if we are simply in judgment of a certain face, a certain a disposition, we will move on. Yes. And won't we then lose this opportunity of friendship? Yes, yes. I wonder, too, how in your time as a physician, you have learned the importance of education and those stepping stones to help us as patients, to help us as caregivers, how do we reverence education? Well, what I learned myself in the practice is that when, when you see a patient, now I was in pediatrics, so I learned that the best way to deal in pediatrics is when you see a child in a room you treat him as if he's your own. Now, the truth of the matter in life is that you're not going to love anybody more than you love your own children. But in that exam room, you need to treat every child as if he's your own. And all of a sudden, when the child leaves, you feel good about it. It's always, uh, this is not, not in, in, in medicine, but whenever you give charity to somebody, it's so much better for you than for the one that you give the, the charity to. You feel so much better. It's, I mean, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen that a million times, that every time I did something good for another person, it gave me spiritual healing much more than gave him physical support. 
this is so true because we know so many people are struggling with anxiety, uh, wondering how it is that I can keep going, uh, waiting on the phone constantly uh, to have the line be picked up by someone who can help me. Right. How, how I recognize that my service, my generosity can add to my overall being in these moments seems to be a very critical piece of who we are as, as healthcare providers. Oh, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Now, I, I'll tell you a story here. Because I've been here for so long, I've, I've, I've actually taken care of two generations of kids. <laughs> uh, whenever I go out, if I take my children out for dinner, they, I can't talk to them because everybody else is saying me hello to me. So now my children would refuse to go out with me for dinner. We have to eat at home so I can talk <laughs> to them. So, yes, it's, it's, it's heartwarming. And I'll tell you one more thing. Uh, you know, every few years you think the grass is greener on the other side. So I came to Fort Smith and I thought, well, I'll stay here only for three years and then go to Texas. That's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to the hill country in Texas. Well, you go there and you look and you find out that no, the practice and the people are so much nicer over here. I'm not going to go anywhere. So I, I stay right here. And, and um, the, the kindness and appreciation that I received from the people in this town are beyond belief. Really. You bring up the importance of people. And that's been okay. a consistent theme in your life. Oh. And, and how people have blessed you, have engaged you. And it's not been just one faith, but there's been multiple different ways no. that, that you have, have found meaning. Actually, I, I, I never even thought about uh, different faith when I saw a child. It's, a child is a child. I don't care what, from what religion he comes. It's the same thing. We're all humans. And, and once we, we take this approach that we are humans, all of us, we are so much similar than different. And that's the motto of interfaith. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very blessed, blessed that, that to be here. I'm very blessed that to be in the States, in America. I'm, I'm very blessed that I'm a member of interfaith. Similarity can also be a way to think about how our health is manifested in the people who we're with and how can we develop common ground, which we know is an avenue towards building peace and having people together, Uh, not in the sense of how we look similar, but in terms of our desire to find common ground. Now, one thing I want to tell you here is... This is, this is kind of um, very sensitive. We all are looking for the purpose of life. If, if you don't have a purpose in your life, you really are lost. You don't know why you're doing this. But if you have strong belief in God, and you have strong belief that there will be a second life and a day of judgment. You're working towards that goal. You, you, every day, you know exactly where you're going. You know exactly what your, your, your goal, your, your purpose of life, and you're not lost. You're not lost. Um, 
I felt sorry for uh, those who don't believe. I think they are lost. I think they are grasping for something to hold them together so that they know where they're going. And they, they, they have not lost, they have not found it. I honestly feel one of our responsibility is to find them and, and lead them. That would give us tremendous healing ourselves more than them. This purpose then is out of going outside to recognize within you, you're finding those who might help us belong, but then also who are looking for belonging. Yes. That is a purpose-driven way of medicine, if I think, to say, how would I uh, be able to find meaning by allowing myself to engage rather than disengage. And are we seeing in this future trending a bit of a disengagement with each other, with with people? Well, one of the things that are really shameful is that medicine has been taken over by business. Uh, It kind of limits your ability to interact with your patients. And that's, that's a shame. But I can, I can tell you from my own personal experience because I took care of, of patients with cystic fibrosis for almost 30 years. I had them as babies, either on birth or within a year or two. And I raised them till they were 30 years old and I walked them down the aisle when they got married. <laughs> that was a great engagement. They became as, as my kids, my children. I was involved in all aspects of their life, and you would not believe the healing that I felt every time I saw a patient with cystic fibrosis that helped them survive all these years. The average life expectancy when I started 30 years ago was just six years. When I left, it was 39 years. There has never been any illness where the life expectancy has improved 33 years in that length of time. So uh, this, this was one of the major healing life experiences that I had. And isn't that true of what you said about a second life? that there is a second life happening here with with these children who you have taken care of for so long. You know, I feel every time I'm doing something, I'm doing something for the sake of God. Um, um, It's like a prayer. Every time you do something for other people with the intention of doing it for God, it, it, it's 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 like a, a huge saving account. You're putting it for future, for your life. And, and I mean, if you have this intention, every act is a blessing for you. Thank you for helping us with our own intention, and thank you for blessing us today. Thank you so much. And thank, thank you so for much being for this. here, Dr. Nazar. It's been it's been my pleasure and honor, actually. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.